Turn with me to the passage we read in John's Gospel, chapter 1. And the words we have in verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In verse 36 we see the words, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. John, the author of this epistle, in a very vivid way is telling us what took place on the day that Jesus came to where John the Baptist was. And maybe a decade afterwards, this is still very much impressed upon the mind of the writer. And he is describing the actions of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. That is, describing how he acted before he made this great announcement, Behold the Lamb of God. And what John the Baptist is doing, or in the words that John is recording for us here, he is laying equal stress upon the two actions of the Baptist. Notice he says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith. The first thing that John saw, or the first thing rather that John did was, he saw Jesus coming. Now this was not, as it were, John peering into the distance, and fixing his eyes a long time upon the Saviour as he drew near. But the word that is used, it gives us the idea of just a glance. You imagine John the Baptist maybe speaking to someone. Maybe he is working at something and he glances up and he sees the Savior coming towards him. It was a glance. But that very glance it registered in his mind. The idea of the word gives us that, that it registered. This was the Lamb of God. And while Jesus is still a long way off, John says these words, Behold the Lamb of God. Now this is a declaration that John is making. And what the writer is stressing is this. First of all, John the Baptist saw him. And then, John the Baptist made this great declaration. That's what I want us to look at this morning, this afternoon, very briefly. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. First of all, then, the sin of the world. And in these words we are being reminded of the offense of the world. 
the offense of the world. That is, this great reality, this awful reality, that the world lies in sin. And it is something that, this is something that must always be in our minds. It is something that must always grip us, especially the people of God, that we are in a world that lies in sin. And because of that, we must never forget the real reason why Christ came into the world. That he came into the world, as we shall see in a, in a moment, that he came into a world that was in sin to defeat and to destroy the power of sin. And when the expression is used, the sin of the world, it really speaks about the condition of man. Man in rebellion to God. Man who is fallen. Man that is corrupt. Man that sins day by day in thought, in word and in deed. Not only sinners by nature, but sinners by practice. Born into the world in sin. Born into the world as sinners. And because men are born into the world as sinners, they sin against him. The world lies in sin. The world is day by day sinning against a holy God. But then also, because this world lies in sin, and because it is in rebellion to God, because we are a fallen people, we are reminded that all of us are under the condemnation of God. The soul that sins, it shall die. And again, John reminds us of the words of Christ, that we are all under this condemnation because of our sin. That is the state of the world. That is the state of men and women within the world. That they are under the wrath and condemnation of God. And someone has used the expression regarding this. That it is the death penalty that is just waiting above us. Waiting to fall upon us. In other words, we are under the threat of this judgment. We are under this condemnation because of our sin. But then also, men and women are, are born strangers to God. They don't know Him. By nature, they, they have no knowledge of Him. By nature, they have no desire for Him. And they see Him, as Isaiah points out, they see Him as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. No beauty in him that we should desire him. That is how a world in sin sees the Savior. And when John is saying the, that, he, that the Savior came into the world, or he says that he takes away the sin of the world, we must always have this before us. What is the sin of the world? It is a, it's a world, a people, 
living separated in rebellion to God. But then too, it's also a world not just that's under the condemnation of him, not just a people that are strangers to him, but men and women who if they remain in that situation are on their way to a lost and to a Christless eternity. And again, this is something that must always grasp the mind of the Lord's people. That those without Christ are on their way to this lost eternity. But I want us just for a moment to turn this the other way. That is the condition of men and women without Christ. It must always be before our eyes. I believe it is something that should concern the people of God more and more. It is something that should burden our hearts more and more. That men and women are in wickedness. That they are on their way to a lost eternity. But think about the situation, the position of God's people. No longer are they in rebellion to him. No longer are they those that are under condemnation. No longer are they regarded as being strangers to him. No longer strangers. And these were, these were things that Jesus was making clear to his people. That no longer were they alienated from him. No longer were they strangers from him. The word of God, the word of God reminds us we are heirs and joint heirs with him. The Lord's people are a delivered people. They are not on their way to a lost and to a Christless eternity. God's people are, as the word of God reminds us, pilgrims in this world. They are on their way to that blessed place. This world is not their home. They are only passing through on their way to heaven to be with him. Now the word of God reminds us, the people of God in the world, but not of the world. Not really belonging to the word in the, in this, in the strictest sense. Not, not being motivated by the things of this world. Not being led by the things of this world. In the world, but not of the world. And when we have this expression, this sin of the world, the Lord's people, a separated people, a people delivered, a people that we are being reminded of who are to be holy as he is holy, a people that are to live day by day to the praise and to the glory of God, a people that are to remember, we are to remember whose we are and whom we serve. As I said the other evening, the responsibility that is laid upon the people of God. Who they are, whose they are, and whom they serve. But then I want us to notice the reason, or rather the objective of Christ. The reason why he came into the world. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He didn't come just to give us a good example. He didn't come to leave with us an, a new philosophy of life. 
He didn't come just to show men and women how to suffer. He came to deal with sin. He came to deal with the power of sin. And he came to deal with men and women who were gripped by this power of sin. And he came to destroy the power of sin. And again, as I said earlier, that is something that we must always remember. The real reason why he came. And that is why he died upon that cross. And you could sum it up in this way that he came to do for man what man could not do for himself. When you think of the expression that is used here, John says, which taketh away the sin of the world. He is speaking about removing. Not just that it is being laid upon him or that, that he is just carrying it. Yes, it is that he is bearing it. It's been, the sin is being laid upon him. But it is that he is removing. Literally, therefore, the, word, the words where he taketh away is where he is removing. But look at it from this point of view. You think of what forgiveness really is. When a person all sincerity comes confessing their sin. Whatever way you have come, you may have... You may have come saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Word of God assures us of this forgiveness. What is involved in this forgiveness? It is the removal of the barrier of sin. The removal of the barrier of sin. As I said earlier, sin has caused this barrier. Sin separates us from God. It is this sin that has made us strangers to Him. And when men and women experience the forgiveness of God, it is the barrier of sin being taken away, being removed. And no matter how high that barrier may be, no matter how hard that barrier might be, that barrier can be taken away. That barrier can be removed when a person experiences the forgiveness of God. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. It is the removing, the, to the taking away of the barrier of sin, that which separates us. But then look at it from another point of view, the, the, the way that the words are put. He is speaking about a once and for all action. When he died upon that cross, and when he was taking away, as it's put here, the sin of the world, it was a once and for all action. You know, there is a great comfort for the people of God in that. That that sacrifice that was made, that once and for all sacrifice, there is no need for another sacrifice. There is no need for any other death. Man does not have to make atonement for his own, for their own sin. Christ made that atonement. 
also means that we, we don't have to come through any mere man or through any human priest. The one who did this once and for all, he is our great high priest. The one who ever lives to make intercession for us. And in his dying upon that cross, he opened up this new and living way whereby we can come to him. The veil of the temple has been rent in two. That barrier also has been taken away. He removes, he takes away the sin of the world. And in forgiveness, it's not just the removal of the barrier of sin, but it is bringing into a fellowship, a restoring to a fellowship and a communion with God. Taking away that which separates us. That which blocked you as it were. That, that which hindered your access to him. That which meant you had no fellowship and no communion with him. That has been taken away. And therefore fellowship and communion is now restored. He did for man what man could not do for himself. But you see, we have to look at this from another point of view. Yes, this is why he came into the world. This was his objective. To take away the sin of the world. But this is what God demanded. And God demanded a satisfaction. And the only way that God's justice would be satisfied was by such a death. The Lamb of God, He was the one who would die, the spotless Lamb of God. Satisfaction. God was satisfied in this because it was the one without sin who was dying. God demanded a total obedience. And it was only the Savior who could render such an obedience because of who he was and what he was. God was also demanding punishment for sin. And he was the only one who was able to bear that punishment. And he was the only one who was able to carry it away. But then also, it is not just that God demanded this. But God saw, God deemed that Jesus was the only one worthy. He was the one, the most, he was the fitting one because of who he was. The Son of God, the only begotten Son. Not only the Son of God, but he was the sinless Lamb of God. The Lamb. Which, and the, the, word, the, the words as they are here, literally, the Lamb which belongs to God. The only Son. The only Lamb of God. The one who was without spot. The one who was without blemish. He was the one who was to die upon that cross. And he was the only one who could deal with sin because of who he was and because of what he was. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 46, asked, them, asked the people the question, Which of you? 
Who could find sin in him? Who could find fault with him? He was the spotless, the sinless one. Even Pilate said that. Pilate said that he could find no fault in this man. And his wife could say, have nothing to do with this just man. The thief on the cross could say, this man has done nothing amiss. Even Judas, when he realized what he did, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And the guard that stood around the cross, he put it this way, this was a righteous man. And Paul, you could say, sums it all up. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. The one who was spotless, without sin, was made sin for us. He taketh away the sin of the world. That was his objective. And that is what every child of God who will gather around his table will remember. That he dealt with their sin. That all the punishment that was due to them for their sin has been taken away. That his guilt has been removed from them. That all of that has been imputed to him. And when we gather around the table of the Lord, if he spares us, and when we there partake of those elements, the broken bread, reminding us, yes, of the broken body, the wine reminding us of the blood that was shed, reminding each individual person, the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world, he took away your sin. And then you can put it this way. In my room and in my stead. Condemned he stood. There for you. That was his objective. For you as an individual. And that's what you remember tomorrow. When you come to his table. That it was for you. That he died. And for you that he did all that. Something that you couldn't do for yourself. He did it for you. Notice thirdly though. The obligation that is laid upon the Christian. The obligation that is laid upon the believer. And I want just to take the words as they are here. Behold the Lamb of God. That is our obligation. That is the duty that is laid upon us. You imagine John the Baptist when he saw Jesus afar off. Stretching out his hand and saying, behold, look. Literally, take notice. Observe him. And really that is what we shall do. That is what we seek to do. We seek to behold him. Now, when you look at the words, or rather when you look at the word, a, a very dramatic statement. Look, he wants people, he, he wanted the, the, those that were around him, 
He wanted their attention to be fixed on him. Earlier, the writer puts it, the next day John seeth Jesus. Just that glimpse. But he recognized him. He knew who it was. And John wanted the people to not just have a glimpse of him, but he wanted them to look upon him, to behold him, to observe him, to take notice of him. He says, behold, this dramatic statement. But you know, when you look closer at, at this word, it speaks about a determination. It speaks about a specific action. Look, behold. It's not, as I said, it's not just a glance. But you are to take notice. The word of God, the, we are reminded that in his word, he is revealed to us. And when we look upon him as he is revealed to us in his word, we're not just, we're not seeing him only as the babe in a manger. We're not seeing him as the great miracle worker. Not just seeing him as one who went about doing good. But we behold him as one who died upon a cruel cross. One who gave his life a ransom for many. One who willingly endured such suffering in order to take away our sin. We look upon him as he is revealed to us in his word. One who died. One who was buried. One who rose again triumphant over the grave. One who is ascended up on high. We look to him. Behold him. We're not interested in, in others. We're not even interested in what others are saying or even in the way they look. It is our own look that, we, that concerns us. It is how we observe him and how we look upon him. As I said earlier, the child of God looks upon him no longer as a root out of a dry ground. No longer as one who has no form nor comeliness and no beauty that he should desire him. But the child of God will look upon him as the fairest of 10,000 to their souls. The one who is the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. We behold him as he is in his word. As he has revealed himself there. But then, think of the fact that he has revealed that he has come to you. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, I am come that they might have life. That they might have it more abundantly. That they might have this life. How do we know that he has come? Because he has come to us. And that is what again we think of. The fact that he came to us. Yes, you can look at yourself. You can look at what you wear. What you once wear without him. You can remember the way in which you were going. You can remember how gripped you were by the power of darkness. You can remember how separate you were from him. 
But you remember what he did for you. When he drew you. When he set his love upon you. When, when he forgave all your sin. That is what we look. We look upon him. And it has to be with determination. So therefore the question is. How do you look upon him? As he is revealed in his word to you. How do you look upon him? How much do you study him? And all that is revealed in, in the word concerning him. You know as we prepare for a coming Lord's Day. I feel that this is important. The way we observe him as he is revealed to us in his word. That, uh, that we have this right preparation of heart. That it is not just a glance that we have in his word. That we meditate upon his truth. That we prayerfully consider his word. That we seek, that we wait in quietness upon him. Oh, there is the busyness of this world. We tend to make so many excuses for our failings and so on. When John was saying, behold, he was speaking about determination. He was speaking about effort. And therefore the question is, what will our effort be? What effort are we putting into the, to our seeking after him? What effort are we doing? What, what is our effort in seeking to really prepare our hearts for his day? The preparation of heart that belongs to him. But I think of the responsibility that he has laid upon us. That we seek for his blessing to be on us. But then, you know when you notice the words later on in, in, in the chapter. In verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. Earlier on, this, earlier on when John uttered those words, Jesus was coming towards him. Now in these words, Jesus is walking elsewhere, but John still sees him. And it is very interesting now, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He doesn't continue. But I want us to notice the response that this had. The previous day, two disciples heard these words, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. They had a lot to think about. And uh, during that evening and the, 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 earlier, the earlier part of the next day, they were thinking about this. And now they hear those words again. Now they are, their eyes are directed towards that person again. And notice their response. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. It's not just observation. It's not just taking notice of him. It is not just seeing him as he is in his word. But surely this speaks about obedience. Why did Jesus come to where John the Baptist was the previous day? A lot of speculation. But I believe that one, one reason to impress those disciples. To, knowing what John the Baptist was going to say. 
And those two disciples of John the Baptist would hear those words, would have an that they would have an impression upon them. And now Jesus is returning that way again. And those disciples, are, those disciples of John the Baptist, again their attention is drawn to Jesus. And now they want to follow. Now they want to obey. It wasn't just enough seeing him. It wasn't just enough observing him. Now they wanted to follow. They wanted to obey. I wonder if that is how you feel today. You can say in all honesty that you have observed him. In all honesty you can say that you have looked upon him. In all honesty you say that your desires are for him. You want to live for him. Or maybe you're putting it another way. You want to serve him. You want to follow him. Then is there going to be this obedience? We are told and they followed Jesus. They followed him in his way. In the way in which he led them. They were being followed according to his word. This word that would direct them. And, when, and surely that is what we seek to do today. As we seek to obey. We follow in his way. We follow according to his word. We seek to live in obedience to him. Not just enough seeing him. Not just enough observing. But now we want to follow. And you feel maybe like those two. This irresistible drawing out. You feel you're being drawn to him. You feel you're being drawn to follow after him. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked saith behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. I wonder, will that be what you do today? You're going to not just take the example of others. They have already followed. They are already obeying his word and his command. Will you be, will you join with them? Will you be like them? Because you have observed him. Because you have seen him. Because of what you believe he has done within your heart. Because you feel you're being drawn out after him. You are now going to obey him. And the words that he, that he brings to us. This do in remembrance of me. Following according to his word. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Just a few points in conclusion to just apply it a little further to our hearts. The Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. It's not just something we're doing today. It's not just something we seek to, to do on his own day. And as we gather around his word and as we gather around the table. But the very word, behold, it is speaking about something we're, we do, we, we, we should be doing day by day. Yes, where we fix our eyes steadfastly upon him. Where we never want 
to take our eyes away from him. But you know, there are so many things that seek to distract us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They seek to distract us. They seek that they, they would take, so that they would take our eyes off him. And you think of Peter when he went out to walk upon the water. As someone said, when Peter began to take his eyes of the Savior, he began to sink. There are so many things that distract us. So many things that cause us to take our eyes off him. Let this be our desire. And let this be our duty, not just today and the next day, but all the days of our lives, seeking his help, that we day by day behold him, that we observe him, that we really take notice of him. But then also, the expression that is used, which taketh away the sin of the world. Remember the writer to the Hebrews says, let us lay aside every sin, every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Those little things that would bring us down. Those little things that would seek to take our eyes off him. Those sins for which we make many excuses. He taketh away the sin of the world. That we bring those things to him. Seeking his help to overcome those problems or those difficulties that we may have in our own lives. And then as we are preparing for the Lord's Day, and as I said earlier, as we are preparing to meet around his table, and as we seek to behold him, then surely we learn this, that it should be our constant prayer but especially as we meet around his word and at his table, that he would reveal himself to us. And that as he revealed himself to John the Baptist, and as he revealed himself to those disciples, that he would come and in a very real way reveal himself to us. And that we would see him in his word. And that in the breaking of the bread and in the, in the cup, our eyes would be fixed upon him. That we would be seeing him because he reveals himself to us. Therefore, let that be our prayer. And as we seek to prepare ourselves, that it would be that we would see him, behold him, and then be able to follow him. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-blessed Lord, we would give thee thanks for thy word which thou hast revealed to us. We bless thee, O God, for this revelation. We thank thee in thy word thou art showing to us thy greatness and thy power. Thou art also showing to us how weak and how insignificant we are. And yet thou art also showing that thou art one who cares for thy people. We pray, O Lord, that we would come to thee, casting all our cares upon thee, for thou art the one who cares for us. 
We pray therefore thy blessing upon all thy people, that thou wouldst continue to strengthen them and to encourage them in thyself. And we pray, O oh God, that each one of us, for speakers and for hearers alike, we would know this preparation that belongs alone to thee. Make thy word real and make thy word precious to us. Make thyself real and precious to us, we pray, that we would be able again to say, it is good to be here. We pray for thy blessing to be upon any who may be in distress at this time. Bless those who may be anxious and for any who may be seeking to go forward in obedience to the command of thy word. We pray that thou wouldst draw very near to them and that thy good hand would be upon them. Bless us now each one and help us in all that we do and take away our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>